If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everybody, welcome to the In and After Show. We have a special Pluto edition tonight where we're going to be talking about the Netflix anime series Pluto from Studio M2. It was in production for like almost a decade. People were wondering where it was, where it was. Um, it premiered earlier or late last month, mid last month. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we've finally gotten a chance to sit through all eight hour long episodes. And so we're going to talk about it. it um, I've been writing some of the reviews for it. There's a couple, I haven't gotten them all up yet. I finished the last two episodes today. And unfortunately, you guys are probably going to have to wait a little longer for that because I fly out to New York in about 12 hours. So, And these um, episodes are dense. Yes, they're they very dense. Full. Um, I usually don't feel like I have to take a ton of notes, but I took lots of notes for every single episode while I was watching this because there oh, yeah. were just so many plot threads, so many character motivations. What's the, what's the overall like themes? Because certain episodes really felt like they honed in on a particular commentary on like human nature or you know robots ai versus humans that kind of stuff so we're gonna be I diving crazy. i never thought that eddie murphy would would take such like a, a drastic turn for his career but i thought it was really interesting the the role that he played i um, need to know the eddie murphy reference because when i think of i robot i think of will smith so who wait, are you thinking about are we not doing a stream on the adventures of pluto nash I don't even know what that is, James. Is the that a famous, cartoon? What no, is that? Uh, the movie that, that basically killed Eddie, movie, Eddie Murphy's career in the early 2000s. Oh, God. Uh, spectacular science fiction flop. I didn't, yeah, I don't know anything about that movie. That no, was it's like, it's, it's real bad. Into uh, the Vapor. I thought it was Norbert that, or. No, that was like the, well, that was more like the desperate post Pluto Nash. See, I can still do the multiple characters thing, guys. Yeah, yeah. Money. And then yeah. But didn't that one also kill his Oscar buzz? Didn't that come out while he was up for Oh, with Dream Girls? Yeah. Oh, Norbert. Norbert. Oh. Oh, Anyway, that was my attempt at a Pluto joke. It was either that or something about Mickey's dog. But I went I would have gotten 
Nikki's dog. I didn't get the Eddie Murphy deep cut, apparently. Well, so, if any of you listening to this uh, go out to uh, watch Pluto Nash to try to get that joke, I deeply, deeply <laughs> apologize. So that's what not Pluto Nash, but Pluto, Pluto. the anime series based on the Naoki Urasawa manga, is going to be our our main topic of discussion today. Although we did have one piece of news we wanted to get to, and that's the Game Awards because the Ooh. nominations for that just came out, and people have thoughts um this year so, has been so stacked with great games it is honestly a little ridiculous it is and one one of the things that i've been seeing a lot on social media is the controversy about the shows that got snubbed specifically hogwarts legacy oh psh, come on um yeah. okay sure now i never played hogwarts legacy okay so, um i guess i can't say that it i never got the impression that it sucked yeah, um, the fact that J.K. Rowling is the worst—not well, the worst person alive right now. <laughs> she's not great. Um, <laughs> she's not great. Yeah, not great. But uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't see anything that that game did that hasn't been done by like any Ubisoft open world-ish game. Or, yeah. Other than involve Hogwarts, which is you know yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Um, but, More importantly. What I am, what we did see a lot of nominations for, though, is Final Fantasy uh, 16. Yeah, which I haven't played any of. So, but, you know, I, this might be a hot take from me because I'm full of them. Okay. Um, well, I don't even know if it's a hot take because it's it's become, I think, kind of. I've seen a lot of like post praise backlash for the game. I think a lot of oh, folks. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of folks have a very, very complicated feelings about 16 just because it was so different and it, it does a lot of stuff that granted people that are familiar with the storytelling and pacing of Final Fantasy 14 are, are probably really used to, but probably feel very out of left field for yeah. people that are, are more used to the mainline games. Um, I, I've just seen a lot of people kind of uh, shitting on Final Fantasy 16 and I, I think that game's great. I think it has its flaws. Um, mm -hmm mostly with the combat system, despite being really fun, there are some issues I had with it. And the story, you know, has its ups and downs, but I think it's an excellent game. And um, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I get a little frustrated sometimes when I see some of the, the criticisms of the game, especially the story that I don't really think hold that much weight compared to the game's quality but that's just okay yeah i um but i haven't i haven't even touched the final fantasy 7 remakes so i'm just like really behind as far oh, as like good. as far as the like big narrative uh video games i'm still working on my first playthrough of Baldur's gate 3 although we're, we're very close to the uh, game is so big to, to beating it so um and then i could just play it again and completely different yeah. things so the only really, game you ever need yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to mention another one that I got up for a lot of awards, and I remember this being called like the spiritual sequel to Jet Set Radio, and that's Hi-Fi Rush. So, which is another one that I wanted to kind of check out, but haven't gotten to yet. It's up for best art direction, music. Hi-Fi Rush is good. That's a good game. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily. I'll be honest. I'm an Alan Wake two simp all the way. That right. Game has completely blown everything out of the water for me um, even Baldur's one. gate yeah um even so. Baldur's gate 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's like it was one of those things where before I played Alan Wake 2, I genuinely could not tell you between some of these games what I would edge out, you know, Tears of yeah. the Kingdom, Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, and then the minute I played Alan Wake 2, I was like, oh, yeah, this is one of the best things I've ever played in my life. Yeah, just hands down. <laughs> so I got to I got to make time for that, maybe during the, the holiday season or something. I've had it on my Steam wish list. Guys, if you want to just go, you know, over to my Steam wish list, I got well, Alan Wake over there. But um, I just started playing Don't Feed the Monkeys for the first time, too. So okay. I'm just behind on things. Um, Alan Wake 1 is a little, it's aged a little bit. Okay. Um, it's much more of an action game with, like, sl- spooky vibes. Whereas Alan Wake 2 is, like, full-on Resident Evil 4-style survival horror. Okay. So if you're looking for, like, a, a, a genuinely scary game or, like, a really tense survival horror game, Alan Wake 1 is not that. That's okay. Um, I'm like also kind of bad at games, so like I I don't mind if they baby me or I play a fair amount of like walking Sims to be honest. So that okay. kind of thing. yeah, it's more Alan Wake one is just it's more of just like the it, you'll have like an hour of running around and shooting, yeah, and then you'll have like twenty minutes of story stuff, and that uh-huh. that pattern just kind of repeats. So. Yeah. Um, it's really good, but it's also definitely a game from 2010. Okay, got it. Yeah. Uh, and then another one I want to point out real quick is um, up for best adaptation is Castlevania Nocturne. Now, it's against the Super Mario movie, but I know, James, that you really, oh, really like yeah. Castlevania That's Nocturne. That's yeah. 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 Absolutely. I'm, I am dying for a, a second season there. What are the other best adaptations? I forgot that that was... Uh, the other one in our article are the ones that are based on Japanese IPs, so it would take me a minute gotcha. to like open those up, but um, I also want to say, James B, Gris is on my wish list. I've been meaning to play that one. Or I may have purchased that one, actually, and I just haven't played it yet, so uh, I do intend... I also have purchased, but not played Gris. I need to do that. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, oh, Pikmin 4, too. I have... I tried to play like Pikmin for GameCube a long time ago and child me couldn't figure it out. I've never so, played Pikmin. Yeah. Yeah. I hear it's fun. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, keep an eye out for the Game Awards. Another maybe hot topic is that I don't think the Game Awards have commented on it yet, but I think it's the Golden Joystick Awards that have outright said that they're not accepting any political comments like from the winners when they accept the awards, which is just wild to me. Because well, we all know what they mean by political. Comment. Yeah, we all know what they're talking There's about. There's one right? specific political comment that they're not going to accept. That's great. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Bullshit. Um, so yeah, look forward. Remember to... Remember when Marlon Brando outright refused to accept his Oscar and instead had um, a native activist come up and give a speech about uh, genocide against the natives? And it yeah, and then the hell out. And it was remember great. how John Wayne like threatened to hit her during the award season? This God, like John Wayne sucks so bad. He sucks so bad. Oh, so bad. What a goon. Yeah. What's his name actually Marlin or something. Anyway, um, so let's uh let's let's dive into Pluto. Pluto. So just like bare minimum context. Um, hopefully we're we will be discussing spoilers during this. So if you have not finished watching it i really recommend coming back to our podcast later because it works better as a companion piece if you've already watched the show or read the manga um but just like general overview there are seven super powered robots this takes place in the future like every you know robots are very very sophisticated at this point to to the point that you can't necessarily tell them apart from humans um 
they have some written in code that does that typically doesn't allow them to do things like lie and it's definitely not supposed to allow them to kill humans very um, very law uh, laws of robotics yeah yeah so have we, have we mentioned that this takes place in the world of astro boy I had not mentioned that yet, but it takes place in the world of Astro Boy. In fact, it is an adaptation of a manga arc uh, specific, that has been um, adapted into quite a few of the different anime variations over the years. If you go over to Anime News Network, we actually have a feature up about all the adaptations of this particular arc that have been done um, in animated format, as well as the original manga format. But So it takes place in the world of Astro Boy, seven super-powered robots, um, our main point of view character most of the time is Gessicht, who is a German robot who works as a detective for Europol, which might as well be Interpol, but, you know, it's not technically Interpol. Um, and he solves robot crimes and he has, you know, a gun in his arm, kind of like Mega Man, and he's near indestructible. He lives with his wife, Helena, in a nice little apartment and he goes to work every day. And then something starts killing all of the or targeting killing the the superpowered robots as well as the scientists that created them mm. and this develops into a large-scale conspiracy about the iraq war i don't know someone, um i saw someone compare it to like the almost like the manga version of watchmen in, in a sense you sure yeah. um, and i think that's that's honestly a very good comparison like the idea that you have these these sort of larger than life legendary heroes that are are mysteriously being killed and it's all like also kind of being used as a sort of um counterpoint to like classic superhero stuff from the 60s and yeah really interesting and yeah. also a lot of war commentary for the time there's a yeah um pluto especially uh i think for millennials of a certain age or if you were just like very political like paying a lot of attention to uh, what was going on during the Iraq war. Like this anime hits really heavy. Like yeah, if it, you can remember nine 11 as like something that you were alive for, this show is going to hit pretty hard. Yeah. It's, it's very thinly veiled. Um, <laughs> it's just like, it's not actually. Veiled it's, so, at all. It's, it's so funny that like, and I, I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of this just, cause I've never, I'll be honest. I've never read Astro boy. I've seen maybe like two episodes of the show. Um, and I didn't know how much of it was just holdover from the the world building that the original Astro Boy had established, mm -hmm. like why the United States is uh, Thracia, yeah. um, and like you know like Persia is still a thing. But like it's so it's so on the nose that I was like, well, I feel like we should just like maybe change the names a bit just to. It's it's it is blatant and. I didn't really find a way to work this into my review, but since we're talking about the show, I did have the opportunity to interview you, uh, Masao Maruyama, for about 15 minutes at Anime Expo about this series. And so I got to see the first two episodes back in like the end of June. So they did have this finished, I think, fairly, fairly early. And I had not read the manga. So in episode two um, is when they really like hammer in the stuff about the 39th Central Asian War, which is the stand-in for the Iraq War in this case. And they start talking about how that war came to be. And specifically that it's... <laughs> James and I are just like, it's... God damn it. 
I live I I Colin Powell and all of them lived on my TV for like 20 years. Yeah. I couldn't like go a day without hearing WMD this and WMD that and Oh yeah, they played just... it on the morning radio news which was coming in through my bus radio on while they were driving me to high school. So every morning like 7 a.m. I had, you know, like 15 minutes of George W. Bush says that there's weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and the the axis of evil, all those other sort of things that was, was constant. Um, I was like 14 um, during, uh, during nine 11. And so like, I have really strong memories of like the United States becoming a no fly zone for like, yeah. it was just so weird not to hear any airplanes all that kind of stuff is is really ingrained in my memory as well as like, you know, it was my generation that started enlisting um, as a result of it and things like that. And there were constant discussions about, you know, really, really awful sort of things from classmates about how we should turn the entire place into glass, just that kind of crap, like all the time. Um, and uh, I lived... the, it's a lot of the stuff we're seeing in the news right now. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not new. No. Um, and I know people know that, but I, talking Pluto, it just really, I don't know. It When you combine this with Attack on Titan in the same, like, 14-day span, it was just yeah. a lot of, oh, okay. Well. You're like, yeah, more sucks real bad. So yeah. um, the, the stuff about the Iraq War becomes very uh, prominent in episode two, and that it'll carry over the entire series. Like, it's kind of like the match for the entire uh, conflict. Um, if there hadn't been one, like we wouldn't have this story at all, right? And I mean, they anime Saddam Hussein is like one of the anime Saddam Hussein is like a secondary <laughs> character in this. Okay, they they show the statue. Like if you go over to my review and click on it, like people tried to argue with me about it. I'm like you don't understand. This is the exact same fucking statue that like yeah, we watched no, all <laughs> down on TV. Like you're not going to gaslight me about this not being yeah. about the Iraq War. But yeah, war is universal. You can apply the commentary to a lot of different wars, but no, like for real. That there's like half an episode is people debating about were, were we justified in fighting the Persian War if there weren't any? You know, it's like yeah, weapons okay. of mass destruction, robots (parentheses). Like they refer to yeah. them as like robots of mass destruction. Yeah. Like during the discussion, they they talk about the president of Thracia, the United States of Thracia, lying about their existence. Like it is just. We finally I, brought democracy to Persia. Like, oh my God. Like, shut oh. up. Um, yeah. I can't do this again. Yeah. So I got to talk to Masao Maruyama about this specifically um, very briefly. And I was a little disappointed, although I can understand with the international press that he did sidestep the question about it. not Because my question was, was there any consideration about how a story, ref, you know, strongly referencing the Iraq war could be perceived by international audiences because you got this up on netflix right like world over and what i got was it's not about the iraq war it's about evil deeds and like universality of no that's that. a lie it's about the like, iraq war and okay, evil okay. Deeds. Like, come on, I, I understand you just don't want to talk to me about the iraq war and that's fine <laughs> come on I, you know on, and i wonder too i i've noticed that um i wonder if that's maybe just also a um like a cultural thing as far as like how uh, um 
like companies and entertainment uh, people are, are expected to handle politics because I feel sure. like from a lot of anime we we get a very similar log line of oh no like we didn't intend to comment on anything particular um except for every now and then you'll get someone that's like no this is about the sarin gas attacks yeah <laughs> like, yeah like, or yeah um, like when we got to talk to the director of my little box season two and he was like yeah no this is about immigration yeah and, yeah Megalobox is uh, incredible. I encourage everyone to watch it. Season two uh, is an unsung masterpiece. It is. For that reason. Yeah. Yeah. So so this war kind of kicks everything off. And coincidentally, um, almost all of the um, superpowered robots were involved in the war, with the exception of um, Epsilon, who basically pulled a, a conscious... This conscientious objector, yeah. Objector too. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going. Like, and and he gets a lot of shit throughout the entire. This is something that I really liked about the show is that we get kind of a good sense of how each of these robots have lived their lives after the war and how they have tried to either make amends for par their participation, um, or you know, a, a couple of them actually have straight. They just have PTSD. Like, oh yeah, robots just have they can just have PTSD, and that's um, something else that's sort of going on. And there's a lot of there's a lot of commentary around that. Um, mm -hmm. But when they start dying, that's when um, Gessick gets involved, and we find out there's all it opens up all these sorts of um, different sort of philosophical questions, like. I guess the first one we could ask is, did you feel like robots were kind of a stand-in for like discrimination as a whole? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So this is um, this is one of actually the things that I um, I mentioned uh, before we started recording that there are certain elements of Urasawa's writing that I find a little that don't necessarily vibe with me. And this actually, the question you just asked about what the robots represent mm -hmm. um, kind of gets to the heart of one of them. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, I think one of the things that I struggled with with the show is not that the robots aren't easily slottable to like a specific allegory, because I honestly think that would be a little, I'm glad it's not as simple as like, you know, uh, it's not like, oh my God, what was that game? Um, uh Detroit where they oh. have a robot section in the back of the city bus oh. like it's not that on the nose yeah yeah um but i think for me the the problem is that one of the questions it keep, it keeps posing with like the the discrimination the robots face um has a lot to do with the whole idea of like people not recognizing their fundamental humanity you know people not being willing to see them as uh, people worthy of rights mm -hmm. and this is like such a personal bugbear of mine. And, and I'm, I don't even necessarily think it's a flaw of the show, mm -hmm. but something that I always thought was a little weird with how Pluto handled it is it, it tries to do that thing where like, there are a lot of people that are just inherently just bigoted and hateful and just refuse to even think of the robots as people. Right. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, obviously can, has a lot of parallels to the way that we treat other people uh, that look different from us or have different beliefs. Um, so I'm not even saying that doesn't happen, but I think for me, the, the hard thing is that 
I've always had issues with stories that try to sell this idea that if we had like perfectly lifelike human robots, that we wouldn't, that we would instinctually like deny that the, the fact that they have humanity. I, I, to me, humans have such a tendency to anthropomorphize stuff. Oh, sure. like we, we like to pretend that our phones have personalities half the time, right? Like yeah. we, get emo- we get emotionally attached to our cars and our, our appliances. And so a part of me kind of found it a little almost like cartoonish the way that like, you know, 85% of people seem perfectly fine with robots, but then there were just like 15% of people that were like, my entire personality is that I don't believe that robots deserve rights and that they should all die. Um, And the thing that sucks is like, there are people that are like that. So I'm not saying that that's not realistic, but in the tone of the show, I don't know, because it's not like the show kind of made a point that the robots are actively getting more and more accepted and understood. And, you know, I would say most of the characters tend to believe and accept that they're totally, you know, they got rights and they have feelings and that's all good. Um, So I I don't know. I, I thought it was interesting that, though, I felt like there was different levels of it. Sometimes these were like completely tertiary characters or just secondary characters, and they could have different levels of just like presumption about robots that felt realistic to me. Like for instance, I think it's in episode two. um, Adam is actually investigating a murder in Japan where, you know, this like Japanese style house has completely been blown apart by one of the tornadoes. And um, and he's with um, a a Japanese uh, detective who's, name is like Tatawari or something similar to that. And Tatawari doesn't seem like outright discriminatory, but he still sucks. Like the entire way that yeah, he talks they got to that microaggressions talking. going on. Where it's like, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess it's real eat. easy for you. Cause you're a robot. Like, yeah. 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 Um, so I, f- I found like, I, I thought that one was, it was mostly pretty good. I, I'm kind of getting the feeling from what you're saying that maybe you didn't enjoy the Adolf plot line though. It's, it's not that I didn't enjoy it. I just, this kind of happened in Monster 2 because okay. I liked Monster quite a bit. Um, yeah. But I think with Urasawa, sometimes it's almost like I can I can literally see the switch flipping where mm-hmm. a character almost like stops being a person and mm-hmm. starts like just kind of representing a thing, like an uh-huh. idea or a problem. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't mind so much if not for the fact that because of the way he tells the stories where there's so many characters and so many threads happening all at once, we don't really get any kind of arc for any of these characters. They kind of just exist to represent this idea. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Adolf technically decides not to kill Gazikt, but only really out of like plot convenience, right? It's not like we see um, not even growth, but like, it would be different if, and this is a different story, but like if we had a character that, you know, really had this like fundamental issue with robots and not recognizing their humanity, or even like maybe he thinks he does, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, oh, I, I have plenty of robot friends. Some of my <laughs> best friends are robots. Yeah. But, you know, he, he has these underlying um, blind spots and we kind of get to see as the show goes on the different ways that those manifest and maybe he like, evolves or comes to an understanding or maybe he doesn't but we can kind of 
you know, reckon his character in a larger context. But like for me, the problem with the Adolf plot line is that it kind of just disappears. Sort of, in, I like, mean, the last third of the story. They 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 go back to it like in the second to last episode where they show uh, Gessick being taken away in his robot ambulance, and Adolf finally tells him he doesn't want to hate him anymore. And yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I I I as far as like kind of putting a, a out and out murderous bigot up front in a story. Um, I could kind of appreciate the the work that was done in the story to get you to not like Adolf, but sort oh, yeah. of understand oh, yeah. like how does someone get to this point? It it seemed to me at least like a fairly decent representation of like the uh, people we've seen like political situations now where they they seem really hateful they vote a certain way like they seem to not even necessarily put their own what's best for them and their situation first because they they're yeah. hung up on this sort of and it's all centered like for Adolf it's all centered around the unfairness of of life in general right like yeah it was a sequence of a, the system failed him as a child failed his father essentially to make his father obsolete and so he hung on to robots took robots took my dad's job robots made us poor like all industrialization yeah. and yes yeah, i agree that sort of thing and it's his the way he comes away from that is not valid but you can you can see why and i feel like yes. we see this play out in um in america in some cases too where you have people who are in like working class rural conditions mm -hmm. and they're afraid of progress like on a technological front as well as like on a social front and so that's where they dig their heels in and then all of a sudden you got people with tiki torches and that's, it's, that's very yeah. true and you're right you're absolutely right that it definitely i think it definitely touches on some really meaningful and important and very realistic human emotions I think for me, I'm, 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 this is one of those things that I'm kind of realizing as we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. I honestly think, and this is going to, this might sound weirdly petty, but I, I actually think that this might actually explain some of my larger issues of the story. I think I really don't like the way Urasawa writes kids. Okay. Um, and like writes and uses kids in his story. And I think Adolf's the perfect example because okay. the way that you framed his story and his conflict and like what he represents, I think on paper sounds like something I would totally eat up. I'm like, yeah. it's like an anime is talking about really like, you know, meaty philosophical, emotional issues. But then the, the way that actually plays out in the show is that when Adolf is a little boy, his dad steals a ball from a toy store. Yeah. Because all little Adolf wants in the world is a ball. Yeah, like, I wish, and the the dialogue is something effective. Like, I wish I had a ball, Daddy. If only I had a ball. And then his dad's like, "Don't worry, son. I'll get you this ball." And then this robot comes up and says, "This is the man. He stole the ball." And I I get the 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 idea is that this guy was humiliated. His you know worth as a father was being um, you know uh, put into question. Uh, he he projected that onto the robots that took his job. Like mm -hmm. on paper, I get that. But it, it was so like, so kind of goofy, like, yeah. like odd, that yeah. he didn't take it seriously. And and then like when Adolf's brother becomes like a child murdering psychopath. 
Yeah. I was like, but he was like, you know, my brother was a monster, but he didn't deserve that. And it's like, your dad stole a ball from a Toys R Us. And it like, that was the event that ruined your lives to the point where you're both like wanton murderers. Yeah. And I, I get that that's probably the point that like this tiny little thing can spiral out and create this lifetime of abuse. But in, in the same way, we're like, whenever, um, what's his name? Uh, Epsilon. Yeah. Whenever his literal army of war orphans oh, are, sure. are like on screen, it's like, Epsilon, Epsilon, uh, we're, we're your tether to humanity. We're everything good and innocent in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of me is like, okay, I get it. I get it, Urasawa. I get it, kids, you know, children, and um, they're pure and, and joyful and I don't know. There's just something about it that rubbed me the wrong way. And I think that that might be why, because this I absolutely of, agree with what you're saying about this it. This kind of touches on something else that I noted mid, noticed midway through. And it's like, there's a lot of dead kids in this show, like in general is sort of, yeah. like, it's sort of like a, a plot device mm-hmm. in general. Right. Because like, there's nothing sadder than a dead kid. So, um, I mean, jumping from Adolf to his brother, Gessick, <laughs> while he's going through his investigation, he's been having nightmares. And in Mm -hmm. like, and during these nightmares, we learn that they're really um, sort of like leftover bits of real memories that were wiped because Mm. he murdered. Because Gessick did a murder. Okay. And for a while you're like, why? Like, you know, why would Gessick always seems like extremely calm. Um, he navigates even microaggression and stuff towards him like fairly well, like always manages to kind of defuse situations. Yep. Um, doesn't seem, yeah. It doesn't really seem overtly prone to, to violence against suspects or anything. Like he kicks a drug addict once, but I mean, he's not like out there like beating the crap out of people like, yeah. Right. Or anything like that. Right. Um, but that's when we learn that Adolf's brother moves up from, just uh stealing things to deliberate like becoming a robot child serial killer yeah specifically yeah specifically Um, children yeah and like straight up and i feel like this must have been a reference to like m you know the the old like fritz lang like one of the first kind of serial killer thrillers i haven't seen that when you said m i started thinking of moo which is um just written with an M and that's another Tezuka manga. But, oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if he was yeah. inspired by that. That guy loved Fritz Lang. But, <laughs> yeah, um, been, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, it, you're right. It's like, it's, it's a, a leap, but like, it, like it, the whole time, cause they, they talk about his brother in the show as being mm-hmm. like the worst of the worst. I was like, is he like a, even the human supremacists are like, you know, your brother went too far. Like, well, first I was like is, he, is he like a pedophile? Like, what did he yeah, do? Like, right? what, what is this? Um, and that's it's really bad. Um, and so you definitely get why Gazek did what he did. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, what we come to find out one of like the biggest twists in the story is that Gesick found a barely living um child robot in a dump right after you know thwarting a, a a kidnapping um, hostage situation and his only recurring memory of that child initially is the kind of crappy guy who runs the dump who sells him it's you know barely living body for 500 zeus which i guess is the the currency that they use there um initially when he was having those flashbacks i thought that 
the old guy was like buying the child corpses for that much money. Like I thought the old guy. Yeah. Was the, oh, the show definitely it. wants you to think that it's some um, like something shadier than it is. Yeah. I couldn't tell if the show wanted us to think that it was going to be some sort of gazicked is Pluto twist. If that was like a red herring, it was trying to throw at us. But yeah, I kind of got that impression. I never thought that was the case. But like the way they frame that flashback, like makes you think that like the the reveal. And there's one of the lines from Astro Boy is like, you know, you and, and Pluto are the same. And I was like, is is he like, you know, is, does he have like a split robot personality? Yeah, yeah, and that ends up coming into play at the it end. Does. Yeah, it before does. We, before we go into the split personality, like final thing um but yeah on the dead kid note like other than gesic you know committing murder over one um we also have a dr tenma who has never recovered from the death of his son even after making um adam we also have a uh dr abula mm. who has never recovered from the death of um his family including his kids and one of another one of Gessick's memory during the war is specifically about, you know, America bombing places that weren't that were full of civilians and killing children. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's I mean, um, Epsilon has uh, not a dead kid, but Epsilon has um, Va Vasily, 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 yeah, Vasily, the one who can only say uh, or for a long time. Yeah. Lots yeah. of children in peril, lots of dead kids. Let's say, yeah. I will say the scene with Dr. Tenma kind of confronting Astro Boy in his grief over Tobio's death. Um, yeah. That to me is like, that's where like I recognize how good Urasawa is as a writer, even yeah. though some of his, his tropes and stylistic things don't work as well for me because that scene was so good. It's really so good. I thought, I thought Dr. Tenma was one of the like best developed characters overall. Cause I mean, we're dealing with a lot of scientists and a lot of, there's a lot of characters throughout this whole show. It never felt overwhelming to me as far as keeping track of like what everyone's deal was, but Dr. Tubman just has like a certain presence too, whenever he's oh, in yeah. an episode, like he's just, he's dark and brooding, but he's not like a Gendo necessarily. Although you could probably like, there's some, parallels. there's some parallels, right? He's just like a deeply broken yeah. Man, and one of the ways that he has, and this is kind of like a broader question that the show uh, wants you to think about, um, how he's processed his feelings is that he's decided that humanity as a whole or what makes someone human is actually like its ability to hate mm -hmm. or its ability to um, despair or rage. And that like those three are like central to... Um, like to what makes a human to the human is, condition yeah. yeah to the human condition itself and interestingly robots aren't believed to be able to do those things robots though can feel sadness they can feel deep sadness that was like a very early like emotive concept that uh robots have um and love as we mm -hmm. you know we see repeatedly throughout that in in some ways robots are already possibly maybe better than humans although that kind of gets into a clockwork orange sort of question about like if you don't have the ability to choose to hate or anything does any of it matter yeah and i think for <laughs> me too and this is more i think the result of the story being a 20 year old manga that's based on a 60 year old manga mm -hmm. um i think another thing for me that i really liked in chunks like with the the dr tema scene 
mm-hmm. um, that I liked with Gazikt for a lot of, of how they did him, mm-hmm. um, but didn't work all the time, was I think because it was so clear to me that like the robots do love, like they mm-hmm. have loving relationships, they grieve, right? Uh, the right. Very first episode, we see that wife who yeah. um, doesn't want to forget her husband. I, the I one who looks like a Jetsons robot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like Rosie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to me, I think because a lot of stories, one of the first that comes to mind is like Near Automata. Uh-huh. Um, so, so many stories that deal with robots and AI have kind of, have already sprung off of that idea mm-hmm. of like, can a robot hate? I think from the very beginning of the show, I was more in the mindset of, yeah, well, of course they can hate. I mean, yeah. if they can love and if they can grieve and if they can, you know, get married and, and have kids, then yeah, of course they can hate and, and want to kill people and, and all that stuff. Um, but I think because the show was like so rooted in the, but we've programmed robots not to be able to hate or kill people. Mm-hmm. It kind of threw me for a loop. Cause I was like, well, to me, and maybe this is me kind of already being on the show's wavelength. Um, a part of me was like, well, how are you going to like, I, I feel like in order to have the capacity to love that, like to be able to feel that extreme of an emotion that your brain has to be able to, to feel yeah. all of them. The inverse. Know? Yeah. 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 Otherwise, like you said, it's like, is it then is it really love or is it just an imitation of love? Which which they also sure. kind of touch on yeah. too, because um Gessick, Gessick doesn't make it, guys, sorry. And so you end up oh. seeing um <laughs> Helena, his wife, try and process that loss specifically. And she's so deeply, deeply empathetic. So is um Adam and Uran, mm-hmm. his sister, who I felt like didn't really get enough to do in the series other than other than get like vibes of sad people but won't get tricked by the um um by pluto and then she kind of like disappears for the whole show after that yeah yeah um but we see helena we see dr Tema teaching helena how to express her her grief which i thought was kind of a beautiful scene very i like that scene a lot i wanted more from her too i would have loved more of of helena and gesicht like because there's little things seen... dropped in there. You can tell yeah. that she's like an interior designer. Like you see her on her computer and she's got blueprint layouts. And stuff I love like that. that. Like she has a yeah. good life. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that scene with her and Dr. Tenma was one of the, I felt was one of the better uh, parts of the show with him mm. basically talking her through just sobbing over the loss of her husband. And as James brought up earlier, um, there's another scene with Dr. Tenma as well, where um Adam has basically just come home and he's sort of trying to figure out how to best imitate Tobio, who is Tenma's uh, son who died in a car accident. And he's, he's too good. He's basically too good of a boy um, compared to, you know, your average. He's like an anti-Pinocchio. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you, you can really feel the sadness in Dr. Tenma when he's just like, you know, I was mean to my son and he rebelled against me or, you know, oh, that was so clean and all those other sort of things. And like, if you were I, my I son, would not you have made a whole meal. show about, yeah. about um, Tenma and Astro, uh, but like playing that relationship for all of the fraught drama instead of yeah. like just the 1960s, you know, cause that was so good. Yeah. Um, I, think, I don't think, I think we got a clear a clear line of when he left living with Dr. Tenma and I think started living with uh, Dr. Ochinamazu. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ochanomizu, sorry everyone. Because yeah. um, I feel like there there 
was an inciting incident or something where he was just yeah. like, all right, bro, like, you're weird well, didn't, that all the time. I'm out. <laughs> didn't yeah. Astro mention, and this is something that I, I seem to remember from like, maybe even the opening of the old black and white cartoon, but didn't he mention like he got sold to a circus or something? Oh yeah, yeah. Tenma, <laughs> sold him. Tenma gave him away. <laughs> sold him to a circus. And like, that's also kind of like an ongoing thing about like Tenma and his experiments. He's like, yeah, um, so I did make the perfect AI and I loaded it with like 9.8 billion personalities, but it just, you know, never woke up because it had too many options. You're like, well, what happened to it after that? And for a long part of the show, he's like, I don't know. Don't think that's a problem, maybe? So that, that that's what, that's something I wanted to ask you, Lindsay, because this is where, because um, one of the questions we're asking, like, is this show like a masterpiece, right? Yeah. Um, from a production standpoint, mm-hmm. I think you have a pretty good argument because this show looks freaking incredible. Yeah. And uh, the direction is impeccable. The music is great. Yeah. Um, there are, are scenes throughout the episodes that are just so powerful. Um, but once we get to the like episode six of eight marks, so two hours left in this eight hour mini series. Yeah. yeah. Gazikt, our, you know, our, our main character up to this point ends up um, dying, mm-hmm. um, kind of losing the battle to Pluto almost uh, as like a culmination of his arc where he refuses to take another life, even if it means that he dies. Yeah. So maybe the world. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, what did you make of, of where the show eventually went with the, the mystery of who Pluto was, who Dr. Abula ultimately was mm-hmm. and, and the, like how that all ended up resolving. Did you find like the, the twists, um, and uh, the the eventual like conclusion of that to be worth the the many hours of of um, build up for it. I have to think really hard about that. Um, so like there were parts that I thought were like kind of darkly funny and ironic in the ironic sense, and that's like what Bora was originally made for, like Bora's original purpose, and then what he ended up being yeah. was kind of like it was kind of like a sick joke. Like, yeah. And I mean, it, it tied back also to um, not Saddam Hussein, where it's like, no, I wasn't de- developing a robot of mass destruction. We were trying to terraform the the desert to reach a more like prosperous. Um, to make flowers. To make flowers. So that we could like not starve in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the president of the United States and the evil supercomputer that lives in a teddy bear that he listens to. <laughs> a very underexplained element of this story. It is very uh, that is I that was something I had to kind of go read afterwards because I was like, why, why, um, why is there an evil bear and why does it get assassinated? Like, what is happening? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can put it together, but it tonally it is so out of left field. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so I appreciated that particular twist, and I I'm always for it still being more of the United States's fault. That's fine with me. Like you can, you can do yeah. that. You can ramp that up as far as you want. Cause that's basically we deserve it. what they kept we, it. Yeah. Yeah. We've we earned that. that reputation. We have earned. Yeah. That, um, you know, but kind of the, yeah, we have, um, that's what Bora is. And also there's a, like a volcanic geyser, that hasn't blown up in a long time. He's going to use a bomb to explode it. And it's going to, 
that part, like that last minute ante up, I sure. Okay. It just, it wasn't, that didn't work for me near or wasn't nearly as interesting to me, I guess. Um, and like, I get what they were trying to do, right? Like they, yeah. they were taking literally the plot of an old Astro Boy story yeah. and, and kind of marrying it with this socio-political allegory, mystery exploration of the darkness of the human soul, which I think is really a cool idea, but it is, it is very odd to go from like six and seven hours, really a very ponderous, um, slow paced, um, emotional, heady, um, kind of idea driven storytelling to then culminate it all with literally preposterous super volcano doomsday device that will explode the planet unless Astro Boy can, can save it. Um, yeah. I don't, I, yeah, it's, I'm also with you. I'm kind of, I'm still thinking like, I don't know. I'm okay with like the Pluto robot aspect as far as it being like a vehicle of revenge for uh, Dr. Abula, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that being kind of like a driving force and, you know, the mystery of fi finding out um, who Pluto really was and his original purpose and like him, his identity still being like deep in there. I, I liked all of that. Um, I don't know that we necessarily even needed the like 9 billion AIs no, that, be that, exposed yeah. to hatred because that's how we're going to get Astro Boy to wake back up sort of deal. That seemed kind of like, like if you wanted to start cutting things for, for side stuff to like condense it even a little bit tighter, that's something that I feel like you could do. Um, well, if, even if they just simplified it to like, you know, no matter how complex and how like sophisticated we made it, you know, we had to introduce some, we had to introduce a flaw. Yeah. You know, the, the problem was that it was too perfect and mm -hmm. uh, you can't be human unless you are deeply flawed. Like mm -hmm. that's what, that's ultimately what the story is going for, but you're right. I think that like it, it kind of overcomplicates it with like the, some of these elements where, you know, Dr. Tim is like, I put literally every human personality in the robot and it's like, Whoa. Okay. For fun. <laughs> for funsies. Just, just, you know, <laughs> see what would happen really um you know like that part could could take or leave it like at the end bora didn't quite feel as like i kept expecting like there to be like a literal connection between bora and pluto like not not them necessarily being two entirely separate robots i kept waiting mm -hmm. for that to somehow like oh it's the consciousness of bora but inside the body of this or something like that yeah um but that, you know, obviously isn't what happened. Um, so, yeah, I think there were, there, there was some parts that were kind of beating the point home quite a bit. Like uh, the part about the flaws in particular. Um, I did appreciate that they let Astro Boy lie to Helena about both Gessick's last thoughts and, yeah. and yeah. everything because he died angry. Like, because felt hatred in his final moments and he didn't pass that on to Helena even though she knew he was lying. So there's lots of like good emotion, very emotional parts. Um, I still think episode two with um, North Mark two and the old man playing the piano is like yeah. kind of one of the best like singular story throughout the entire thing. 
Not yeah, very a very good part. standalone. Uh, honestly, I think maybe the best use of like a standalone kind of side character. I I didn't feel quite as attached to like um to Epsilon or um definitely not Hercules. Yeah. Or, um well, who's the other guy with the orphans? Um Marlin Marin Mon Brando. Brando. Yeah, it's like Marlon Brando. Brando. Yeah, Brando. <laughs> um, you know, because they all have, you know, each of the super super weapons, weapons, robots of mass destruction has yeah. like their they get their little story. They're, yeah. They're kind of parable. Um, but yeah. I agree. I think that the um the North Number Two is the best one. Just as yeah. far as I, I thought it was interesting, just like the the subject matter of like a film composer and the the mansion setting. Yeah. Um, and like the relationship that they built, I thought it was it was really sweet and really well done. Yeah. And they, they focus on these ideas of like memory specifically. Mm -hmm. Robots have perfect memory. Right. And this older man, his memory isn't. He's actually it's he's editorialized it to make a villain out of his mother, for instance. Yeah. And um, it also kind of still deals with the advancement of technology and a resistance to it in a way that's not quite as blatant as the stuff that goes on with like Adolf's dad. Um, but, you know, they, they find camaraderie. You've got a robot who like it has post-traumatic stress disorder and never wants to talk about, have anything to do with forever again and wants to pursue music. And you have this bristly like Ebenezer Scrooge type and, it was yeah I, I really enjoyed like that particular segment a lot no it's very good i think yeah. my favorite i think that was my one of my favorite parts of the show i really loved pretty much any time dr tenma was on screen um, yeah pretty much every scene he had was great mm -hmm. um i really liked kind of I, I i liked it a little bit less when we saw the whole thing like unfiltered Mm -hmm. um in the seventh episode or the eighth episode i think it's the beginning of the eighth episode of Gizik's like origin story uh -huh. um but even though i i wasn't a huge fan of adolf as a character i did really love the i thought that was the most interesting kind of twist where we see that Gizik um had the memories of the fact that he was a robot that broke the murder commandment array yeah yeah. Um, I, it wasn't necessarily like super shocking just because the whole show is like building up to it like so intently, but yeah. I thought it was really well executed. Like, especially in the more fragmented version where I, I, I didn't love like the whole, like the random, random child kidnapping, which yeah. then like literally he looks five feet away and there, there happens to be an orphan robot for him to pick up. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. He asks himself, I wonder why a father would say such a thing about his child. Oh, look, a baby. And I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. when when you just like just the the fragment of the memory of like the little um like skeleton robot baby like walking towards them, I thought that was super haunting and, yeah. and very powerful. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I liked that part a lot too. I'm trying to think of um And Astro Boy whooping Cluda's ass was great. Just Yeah, yeah, yeah the final battle was, was good. Yeah. 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 Hell. A lot of the the fights in general were like really good. I mean, for a while, you know, they were keeping a lot of it under wraps because they weren't going to show you what Pluto actually looked like, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I think it was the Hercules fight was also pretty good where he was like fighting him in the ocean and stuff. Yeah. Um, did you like um, robot Hannibal? I, I did like robot Hannibal and I had, I, 
if I could ask Urasawa anything, I was like, okay, so like, how much do you like Silence of the Lambs? Because that is so obviously <laughs> it was one hundred percent a Clarice Starling, yeah, yeah, Silence of the Lambs that was, that sort was of thing. Fun. Yeah, um, I did occasionally wonder how Brown knew the things that he knew because mm-hmm. he was like stuck in like like a pit, um, and I didn't know like I because I know he did share some of his memories with him with the or or they were like trading information. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where I didn't mind that much because I just like enjoyed listening yeah, to them. They're, they're back and forth. What do you think of Astro Boy uh, freeing him from prison so that he could commit a murder? So he could murder the robot teddy bear overlord of the United States? Yeah, yeah. The um, teddy bear shadow government, which is... I loved... It made me wish... And I, I guess... And it's so hard because... It, it wouldn't work with the tone of the story. I wish we'd gotten more Astro Boy in mm-hmm. the show, even though, again, the whole point is that it's like not from his perspective, but I I really liked kind of the, um, you know, the, the gray areas that he had to go to in order to beat Pluto after learning to hate yeah. him. Um, yeah. And the fact that like he just, you know, allies himself with the world's most notorious robot murderer did we ever find out what he like what he murdered a guy for do we even know i don't remember that that was did everybody um, explain like who he killed or why in the anime i always and the whole the whole thing that they make a big point of at the beginning is that um there's no flaw in his ai and so i always took that like initially to mean like well of course not he's just closer to being human than the yeah. other robots that's why he can murder but there's nothing like technically wrong with him because yeah, he's working as intended he has a brain that mimics that of a human yeah yeah exactly um but i don't know i, I don't know if it's elaborated in the manga or anything brow uh just sort of struck me as a dude who killed a man wants to see what it was like because he act i mean he, he genuinely and maybe the, a part of this is the english dub because um uh, Sun Wan Cho yeah. is the uh, um, he voices uh, um, Brown. the character and does a great job. Yeah, um, but he definitely the way he's played up in the English dub, at least, like he's he's like evil evil genius, like evil villain. Yeah. Like he sounds like Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, um, not in he's not doing an impression, but it's very much like that. Uh, you know, he sounds like he's killed like dozens of people, and that he liked every bit of it. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. one was like, did he just like? kill one dude like one time but he's just like fully owned he's like ah yes uh you know, he kind of sounds like bane a little bit he's like oh really ah, yeah. hello there detective <laughs> i was wondering when we returned every time he got his weird like arm all the way out there was like don't touch it <laughs> yeah, don't, don't touch it. it that guy is gonna choke you out and then that's exactly what he does it's like i'm gonna choke out the president of the united states yep but then I'm going to kill myself to kill the spare. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it was one of those or things. Maybe that... does the killing the bear even kill the computer? I don't know. Do we know I... that the computer dies? The evil America computer? I don't know. Yeah. Cause it's the big giant, like red thing taking up that entire room. But I, I think it, we're supposed to think that it did, you know, vote that guy out of office is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't represent my trying yeah. to blow up the super volcano in Yellowstone National Park. And he's like, I was just trying to, you know, do some Cold War shit and covertly knock out all the super robots to protect the 
the United States. And the teddy bear's like, well, I just wanted to kill all of the humans because the robots will be fine after we do. I just wanted to literally do the plot of the Matrix and block out the sun. <laughs> Basically. No biggie. No, no biggie, yeah. No, I, I liked Brow. I wish he was actually in more episodes just so that he could be a smarmy evil guy because that's one of my favorite kinds. I want of a scene with him like, in, a, in a Hawaiian shirt calling up Gazit. He's got like white, like yeah. wide brim hat on. I have to meet a friend for dinner. It doesn't even make sense. You don't eat food. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we should get a sequel that's all about Brow. I know he's probably dead, but we should get a sequel yeah. that's like him uh, seducing Gazit, who's alive somehow. Um, God, Hannibal's so stupid. <laughs> Sorry, I just had a flashback to the. The, the Hannibal movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just get Urusawa to do a one shot. Although to be to be fair to Urusawa, he said that like creating this manga was such um an undertaking, like from a writing perspective, I think, that he said he'd never do it again, as far as like going into someone else's work and then like kind of reinventing an element of it to make a story. Um, oh, I know. If someone was like, hey, do you want to write like a an official Evangelion fanfic? I'd be like, oh, no. But does, will, will Arno see it? Will he? <laughs> will his family see it? Like, like, like no, too much pressure. Too much, <laughs> too pressure. much pressure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so um, I think that kind of wraps it up as far as, you know, what we kind of wanted to get into. Again, like, this is a really great series. Um, don't try and marathon it or your brain will turn into mush, though, because um, it is it is a lot. It deals with a lot of different top topics. Space some, it out, for sure. Yeah. yeah, it has some very interesting things to say, again, about, like, what makes us human, um, about uh, despair and hope and love and all those other sorts of, you know, great things that you want from fiction. I think that it is a very much a talking head show. Like some, there's not a lot of action in it, generally speaking, but I feel like the way that it's framed and how it moves from character to character, even within mm. episodes keeps you from kind of getting like, you know, bored. Um, yeah. Beautiful uh, animation production values. So yeah. If you want to see some animators that are just working at like the top of their game. Yeah. Definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Definitely agree. And with that said, um, guys, we won't be here on Wednesday next week because I'm going to need a break. I'm going flying out to Anime NYC if you plan to be there. Uh, we've got two panels going. We've got the Anime News Network 25th anniversary panel and then also a panel about how to be an anime journalist. So uh, check your schedules and try and make it to those if you can. If you see me, say hi. Jackie will be there too. Um, and just looking forward to a to a good show. Awesome in, trip. In New York. Okay. Yeah, hopefully. Celebrate our 25th anniversary. Yeah, that's nuts. Uh, that means when ANN launched, I was 11. So and I was six. Yeah. So time flies. Time flies. Yeah. Thanks everyone for coming out. Check out Pluto. It's on Netflix and we'll see mm -hmm. you guys next time. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.